Well, welcome to Fellowship. We are so glad that you are here this morning to celebrate uh, this Palm Sunday as we begin to uh, enter into um, Holy Week and look forward to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Uh, my name is Michael, and I'm on staff here. You know, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, we are a not necessarily a liturgical church, liturgical church. I grew up over at St. Joe. And, you know, things like this, we always celebrated. I think, you know, Protestant churches, we're starting to do that more and more. I mean, this year we, we had an Ash Wednesday uh, prayer service. Uh, we talked about Advent. Um, we, we're celebrating Palm Sunday. But really, you know, a lot of, a lot of churches don't necessarily, they just kind of look, um, look at Easter. But growing up, we always celebrate this. So, you know, as a child, I was probably in junior high. My brother was in high school. We were over there at St. Joe. And... We would always get palms as kids, and you know we'd end up slapping each other with them, getting in trouble. But this one particular Palm Sunday, they had us all go outside, and they we lined up around the corner of the church, and they did a procession, and they had a they had a live donkey, and they had this guy that had long hair and a beard and looked like Jesus, um, you know the best representation you could find in Conway, and they so he was riding the donkey. And everybody was processing behind him, and the kids were laying down their palm branches, and it was this sweet, really somber, reverent mood. And as they came around, and they started to go up the steps, as the Jesus figure dismounted the donkey, the donkey's handler, because he's got to have a handler, he runs over, jumps on it, says, "Hey, you son of a gun! And he starts whipping and kicking that thing and riding it around the corner, but he didn't say son of a gun. And... It just broke the silence and everything, and we all just started, my brother and I started laughing, and my dad's, of course, you know, staring quick, you know, and we're like, what do you want us to do? I mean, this guy's cussing and slapping this donkey, and, you know, we're supposed to be having this reverent moment, but needless to say, as we went on into Mass and continued to celebrate Palm Sunday, we laughed the entire time. I'm pretty sure I got in trouble at the end of that service. You know, that's what happens when you bring live animals into a worship service, so no live animals today. So I'm not sure where where you come from, um, what your tradition, your background is. But today, as we, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, I want to just help orient us to what's going on. Because this really is the beginning of Holy Week, of a week that is set apart, um, that leads us into the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and it really needs to be set apart for you and I. You know, a lot of times we say, hey, we're you know, we're resurrection people. As believers, we're, we're Easter people. But the truth is, we don't need to skip over so quickly what is happening this week and what happened this week as we look back and as we remember. You know, a third of each, this is mentioned, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday is mentioned in all four Gospels. And the last week of Christ's life is literally a third of each Gospel. So a third of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is all devoted to this last week and the things that went on during this week, that today is the beginning of that. And so later in the next steps, there are some things, but I hope that you'll look at the growth guide, maybe just pick out one of the Gospels and go, you know what, I'm going to read this week, this, the last week of Christ's life, and kind of really meditate and allow God to, to draw you into that. But here's some things that were going on. I just want to continue to get our minds wrapped around what was going on after he entered in, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, in the actual triumphal entry. 
But on Monday, it says Jesus curses the fig tree and he cleansed the temple. So you see this moment where he goes in and the people are cheapening the worship because they're selling things in his temple and he's flipping tables and he has this righteous anger and this frustration with the people because they were missing the entire point of everything that is going on. And he wasn't violent toward people. He didn't put his hands on anybody, but he flipped and he sent them out. And right after that said, the blind and the lame entered in and he began to heal them. The people that really needed to be there to have an encounter with the living God. And then on Tuesday, it says his authority was questioned. He teaches, he's anointed. So you have this moment where he is He is teaching, and the Pharisees and people continue to question, who are you that you can say these things? Who are you that you can do these things? You can heal the blind. You can heal the lame. And he's being, having the essence of who he is questioned by those around him. But he continues to teach. He continues to share parables and stories and the truth, even with those who are against him. We also have this picture, this moment, this true story where he was anointed with the woman with oil. And you have this scene where even the disciples are like, what are you doing? That could be used for so much better things. And imagine all the poor people that could help. And he stops them and he says, no, no, no. You always have the poor with you. But she knows I'm only here for a little while longer as he's being anointed by this woman. And so we see all these things happening. And we see all these emotions and things that Jesus is going through with all of these encounters this final week. Then on Wednesday, they're plotting the plan to take him out and to kill him. And then it moves to Thursday, and so much happened on Thursday. You see the Last Supper. You see him comforting his disciples, telling them, I'm going away, but I'm going to leave one with you, the Holy Spirit. And he's sharing this intimate meal with his closest friends. During this time, he also gets down on his knees and he washes the disciples' feet. Even knowing the betrayal of Judas, even knowing that Peter will disown him, even knowing that most of them will scatter, he still gets down and he washes their feet because that's who he is. And so we see these moments taking place, and then he leads them out into the garden where he goes through agony and pain, where he says, Lord, take this cup from me. Is there any other way? But not my will, but your will be done. And he continues to see the disciples that can't even stay awake while he's praying, and ultimately it leads to the guards coming and getting him, the trial, the crucifixion and his death on Friday, through Thursday night and into Friday. But think about all these things that are going on during this week. And this is what he entered into at the triumphal entry. And you'll see, I kind of have it titled different when we get to that section, but this is an amazing week in the life of Christ. And so many things take place that have huge implications for you and for me. So with us kind of oriented that way and thinking about Holy Week and thinking about what this week really means, I want us to look at the different ways that he enters into our lives. 
Yes, he enters into Jerusalem in this triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, but there are so many other ways that he also enters into our world and into our life. And so the first one that I want to look at is he enters into humanity through his incarnation. And look at the, the implications and the things that that means for you and me. This is the birth of Jesus. In Matthew one twenty three, it says, Look, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we see that he is born, and the cosmic God that is so hard for us to understand and to know becomes a man and is born as a baby. And now he is with us, Emmanuel, God with us. He is here walking on this earth as a human, still 100% divine, but also 100% human, which is a mystery. But he's both and. And that has big implications for us as his believers to know that he is with us as Emmanuel and that it is not this separation where we can't understand who he is and how he operates in this life. And another one, John 1.14 says this, Now the word became flesh and took up his residence among us. Some versions say dwelt among us. Some even say he tabernacled with us. He took up residence among us. We saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth who came from the Father. So literally we have this picture of the God-man. Putting on flesh, the Word became flesh and took up residence with us. So not is it just this God that we can't understand or know, but now we have this man, this human that we get to look at. We get to see how he lives his life. Colossians says he is the visible expression of the invisible God. So now we have God in the flesh walking, talking, having encounters with other humans. And so we begin to see and understand so much more about God because of the incarnation. And this is one of the first ways that he enters into our world as he comes into humanity. Through Christ's incarnation, we can know God personally and receive his grace and mercy. Two things going on here. Not only can we know him personally because he became a man, it gives us the ability to truly look and go, okay, I can't, just like that Colossians verse, I can't wrap my mind around God, but I can see this person and see that he is this visible, tangible expression of his father. And so we can know God personally because of the incarnation. We can have a relationship with him through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But also we can receive His grace and mercy. Because here's the thing, He didn't just become a man so we can know Him. He became a man and He lived the perfect life so that He could go to the cross. So that He could be the ultimate sacrifice. And through that, we receive grace. Undeserved. We receive mercy having his wrath directed somewhere else and not on us. 
So we're able to receive those things through Christ, but we also can know God personally because He entered in to our world at the Incarnation. When He was born as a man, as He walked on this earth, as He lived. And that has huge implications. So as we're thinking about all the ways that He enters into our life, that's the first one I want to look at. Secondly, he had this moment where he entered into his ministry on earth at the moment after his baptism. So he enters into humanity, and now he enters into this three-year period where he ministers to people. Look at this verse out of Matthew. You know, this is at, the, at his baptism. John the Baptist is there. Jesus is probably around 30. He's been living for a long time, but now is the moment where he is ready to begin his ministry. And he goes to the Jordan, and they have this exchange. You know, John's like, you need to baptize me. And he said, no, this is what is going to happen to fulfill things as I am coming into the ministry. And it says, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. As he comes up out of the water, as the Spirit descends on him, you hear this voice. And, you know, this is kind of mind-boggling when I think about this. And as you read, a lot of the folks, commentators feel like that this was probably just for John the Baptist and for Jesus. But still, in our world, in our, our tangible life, our dimension, all of a sudden you have the voice of God rip through the fabric of our world and you hear his audible voice. And it happens again at the Transfiguration. But this is amazing. He says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. We see three different things. This announcement, this affirmation, and this approval. So he's entered into humanity in his incarnation. He is now fixing to begin his ministry, and God announces him. This isn't just a man. This isn't just a person who's going to do some good things or even prophesy or teach really well. But this is my son so we have this exchange with the Father, the Son. I mean, really, this is, we see this picture of the entire Trinity here as the Holy Spirit is also sent upon him. But then we have this incredible exchange with the Father and the Son. He goes, this is my Son. He's the one. He's the fulfillment of everything that has been talked about in the law and in the prophets and in the writings. Here he is. And not only is he my Son, but I love him. He gives this affirmation. And so we begin to look at this and we realize as you study this and you, and you see what's going on and as this voice is saying these things, this is my son whom I love, but I'm willing to allow him to become a man, to live on this earth and to go to the cross. So we begin to see this from their relationship, how much he cares about you and I that he is willing to do this. You know, I was having a conversation with some guys I do a Bible study with, and something came up about our, our kids, and this one guy was like, I wouldn't sacrifice my son for anybody. <laughs> you can forget that. And so as we see this and as we hear God's voice and we realize how much he cares about you and I, if he is willing to give his one son whom he loves away for the death so that you and I don't have to go to the cross. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing moment. And I love the approval. And he says, and with him I'm well pleased. 
with him I am well pleased. And I love when this happens because he hadn't done anything yet. I mean, there's not a whole lot in the scriptures. There's the one time when he was young that he went to the temple and they lost him. I mean, that's kind of the, we don't get a lot from his childhood. So 30 years has gone by, but God knows who he is. God knows that he would be obedient to the Father because of the relationship they have. And he says, this is my son whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. You know, for us, in our world, a lot of times we, we say that to our kids, but a lot of times it's coupled with, hey, I'm, I'm really pleased with you because you did something right and not wrong. I always think about this with my boys. I think about this verse because I'm like, no, I just, I love you and I'm pleased with you because you're my son. Not because you've done something to win my approval but just because of who you are and the way that I feel about you. And so we have this incredible moment with God giving this announcement, saying this is who he is, and I love him, and I'm well pleased with who he is. And I think as Jesus enters his ministry and all the things that he does, we get to see these things about God's heart his compassion, his power, his sacrificial love. Remember that verse in Colossians, he's the visible expression. So as we see Jesus walk through life over the next three years, how he interacts with the blind, the lame, how he interacts even with those who are against him and he teaches truth, even in a way that, you know, sometimes we feel like he's condemning the Pharisees, but the truth, the, the reality is he is sharing truth with them. That's a whole lot more loving than we really think. But we get to see the heart of God, his compassion for his people, which bleeds over to the compassion for you and I that he feels, the power to heal, to change lives, ultimately the power to save. And we get to see his sacrificial love through what we're going to experience and celebrate on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And because of that, those things have implications for you and I. That we can know him personally, that we can see who God is as we study the scriptures and as we look at how Christ interacted with other people. That that is the God that wants to know us. That is the God that is being revealed in the Scriptures. That is the God that wants to know the world. And so he enters into humanity through his incarnation. He enters into his ministry, and it begins with his baptism and this proclamation from his Father. And then he enters into a week of suffering, ultimately through his death. And this is the this is Holy Week. This is what he enters in at the triumphal entry. And I said suffering because it really, it feels like, you know, this big entry in as this king, which it is. But at the same time, he's entering into the last week of his life. He's entering into a week where there is betrayal and heartache and pain and agony and eventually death, which we know is not the end of the story. But it is a week of suffering. And it's a week 
that we really need to set apart as believers. And I really hope that this week you will spend time thinking and reading and meditating on the Scriptures, going, God, what do you, what do you want me to see out of this week? What do I need to experience? What do I need to understand? What do I need to allow to transform me so that this is not just a week that we go, oh yeah, that's great, Palm Sunday. Hey, Easter, you know, let's get some eggs from a rabbit, whatever all that's about. You know, I mean, what, what are we doing? I want us to go, no, this is so important. That is this week we are going to see and experience and understand why we are set apart from all the other religions in the world, all the other places where people turn to find life. I'm going to spend some time, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 21. I'm going to stay there mainly, and I've got a couple of scriptures I'll put on the screen. But like I said, every single gospel has this account in it. But I'm going to be in Matthew 21. I'm going to put these things on so I can see this. Verse 1, it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. So right off the bat, we have him giving these instructions to his disciples. And there's something interesting when he says, tell them that the Lord needs them. So we get this first look and this first picture at him being a king. The Lord needs them. This is set apart for him. But as we look at this this morning, there's this dual idea going on. You've got this triumphal, victorious king saddled with humility and this unassuming riding in on a donkey. So there's these two things that are happening But it's not either or. Once again, I think in so much of Scripture, it's this both and relationship. He came full of grace and truth. Yes, he is this victorious king, but he's going to ride in on a donkey with humility because he knows why he's coming ultimately. And it says this. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Zechariah says, say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the net version says, your king is coming to you unassuming and seated on a donkey. And in Zechariah, another one of the versions talks about righteous and having salvation or being victorious. So we see this prophecy is being fulfilled as he is going to ride in. You know, kings normally would enter in on a stallion. But Jesus knows who he is. And Jesus knows why he's there. And he's going to ride in on the back of this donkey in humility because he is coming to bring peace and ultimately eternal life. And so there are thousands, hundreds of thousands gathered here. They're here for the Passover feast and they're all here in Jerusalem, this town. And it's busting at the seams. I mean, you've got the, the Romans, you've got his followers, you've got the Pharisees, all these people. Because sometimes you wonder, why are, there, why are so many people you know, stirred up in this frenzy and, and they're bringing him in? But that's what's going on in this city as he is getting on the back of this donkey and getting ready 
to write in. So it says this in verse 6, The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, the crowds that went ahead of him began to shout. So here's the moment. He's gotten the donkey. He's seated on it. They've thrown their cloaks on there. There's an Old Testament passage that talks about a king walking up these steps, and they throw their cloaks down. So again, we get this imagery of a king, this picture of our king. But yet he's seated on this donkey, and he's riding in, and they're starting to throw the branches down. And it's this red carpet entrance into Jerusalem. And they began to shout this. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So they're shouting. And they're laying this down as he's riding in to Jerusalem. And this word Hosanna actually means help, I pray, or save, I pray. Or Lord, save. Because at this moment in time, these people have heard of the Messiah. They have heard of him coming, all of the prophecies, for this very moment. But remember that they also are feeling this oppression politically. And so in their minds, they're going, finally, he's here. We're going to usher in this king. And they are looking for this king that's going to ride in with an iron fist, squash everything so that they can be free. They're looking for this, this quick fix out of the suffering in their life. And they shout, Hosanna, son of David. Once again, he's coming through the line of David. This kingdom imagery. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. A reference to Psalm 118 that says the same thing. It says, Lord, save them. Hosanna in the highest. One of the Luke's gospel, the Pharisees, as they're shouting this and they're praising his name and he's coming in, the Pharisees tell him to rebuke his disciples. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus says, they may be silent, but if they are, even the rocks will cry out. That is our God. That is our King that we celebrate that is entering in not only into humanity and into our lives, into his ministry, but now he's entering in to this final week of suffering that will culminate in his death and his resurrection that we're going to celebrate. And I love this in verse 10. It says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Who is this? And when it talks about the whole city being stirred here, this same word is actually used on Good Friday at the crucifixion when the earthquake, when it shook, and even on Resurrection Sunday. The same word, the city was stirred, and they have this question. Who is this? Who is this guy that is looked at as this triumphal king that is unassuming and humble, yet righteous and victorious? 
but yet he's riding on this donkey. What is he going to bring? Is he going to bring freedom from oppression or something else? And so they're asking these questions. And I wonder if we are stirred by the movement of Jesus. Are we stirred by a day like today? When we look back at these events that took place and the events that will take place this week and what we know to be true about his death and his resurrection, does that stir us? Are we moved in our spirit? Or are we so distracted by everyday life that it's just another Sunday? It's just another week. Yeah, we'll celebrate Easter. But is there something in the Scriptures that truly says, this is different? As believers, yes, we are Easter resurrection people. But I think we need to look at the implications of what happens when Christ enters in to our world as he enter in to this final week as he enters in through this suffering that he's going to experience and I think that we can trust him in the present because of his suffering and have hope in the future and, and what I mean by that is yes our hope is in his second coming In the return of Christ, when he comes, he makes all things right, makes all things new, sets up his kingdom, the new heaven, the new earth. That is our hope. But we can also trust him in the present. Because if that wasn't the case, when we became believers, he would just take us. But yet we're still living this life. But I think part of the implication of of him entering into our world at the incarnation and the things that he did, that we can see the heart of God and what happens during this final week, all the things that he went through as he was frustrated at the temple, as he was anointed by the woman, as he was betrayed by those who were the closest to him. as he was in agony in the garden, as he suffered the most horrendous death ever. Here's why we can trust him in the present, because there's nothing that Jesus, there's nothing that we can go through or have gone through that Jesus hadn't experienced. In his life, in his death, and even in his resurrection, because that's a promise for us too, that we're going to live a resurrected life with him. But we can trust him in this life. That we don't have to just hope for the future, but we can go, you know what? I can wake up every day and I can live this life and I can lean in to the God who loves me. And I can lean in to Jesus Christ and I can depend on the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you you and me and we can make it through this life. And we can lean on each other, the community of God's people, the church. That's us. And we can love one another. And we can carry one another's burden, as the Scripture says. We can pray for one another. 
And we can also turn outward and share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. So it's not just about a hope in the future. It's also about trusting Him now. It's also about knowing that we can make it through this life because Jesus has experienced it all. And we get to see that in this final week. And ultimately, He enters into eternity through His resurrection and through His reign. And I'll say that for Ken. That's what we're going to celebrate at the crucifixion dinner. That's what we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday. And it needs to be a celebration. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we're wasting our time. That is the reason that we can even have this relationship with Jesus Christ. It's because he's not a dead God, but he's a living God. And we can worship and we can serve him. Christ has entered and continues to enter our lives. He did it, and He continues to do it. You know, for us as believers, I don't want this to be a week and just another Sunday and another week. I really want us to look and meditate and say, God, how how are you entering into my life right now? What ways maybe am I trying to push you out and not allowing you to enter in and to transform my heart and my mind and make me live differently? Where have I not been obedient and I need to be obedient? Where have I not been displaying your love and be more Christ-like than I need to be? What are the implications of Christ entering your life? Because the gospel is for all of us. The gospel is for believers. We need to remind each other of the story. We need to remind each other of what happened this week the good news that it is, what it saves us from, what it promises us in the future. So we need to remember that, and not just remember in a historical way, but remember in a real present, the story is still continuing. He is still inviting us into his story to transform us. And the gospel is also for unbelievers. If you don't understand, if you don't believe, those that don't, you're invited to respond and to receive His grace and mercy through what happens and believing that He died and that He rose again. Because that power is still alive. That power is still real. That is not something that happened in the past and is done. It happened. It is happening. It will continue to happen until He returns and takes us home with Him. And that is what we are celebrating during Holy Week. That is a triumphal entry as Jesus enters into this week that sets us apart from anyone else in the world. The week where he dies and he rises from the dead so that you and I can have life. That is Holy Week. This is Palm Sunday that we celebrate that. There's some next steps in your bulletin. Ask God to prepare your heart and mind to experience Him in a new way this Easter.
And that's what we've been talking about. I want us to be oriented in a way at looking at Holy Week and allowing it to change us. Not just be another week, but really allow it to change us. Take time each day to reflect on the last week of Christ. Pick a gospel. Pick any one of them and read through this story. And ask God to come in and to enter in and to sit with you and to change your heart and your mind. And join us this Friday. Join us for the crucifixion dinner as we really take time to fast together, to break that fast together, and to celebrate what happened on that day so many years ago that still has an impact on our lives.